a fertilizer bill on on one guy's property went from 60,000 when he was conventionally converted to biodynamics and in a very short time it was down to less than $10,000 and even that's <laughs> it's hard to spend that. I've seen with my own eyes how up to four inches of darkened soil can occur in one or two years. That's provided it's not in the middle of a drought. Welcome to this podcast series, Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. The series was commissioned by Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited and produced by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited is a not-for-profit company located in Bellingen, New South Wales. It has been making and supplying biodynamic preparations as well as supporting biodynamic growing in Australia for over 30 years. Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited values biodynamics as a practical and holistic technique that is able to regenerate soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work with Mother Nature. The podcast series was produced on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Gayabal, Yugara and Waka Waka First Nations peoples of the surrounding region. We pay respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nation Australians in this country and celebrate the unique contributions their cultures make to this place. And in the context of this podcast series, particularly those contributions involving Indigenous respect for and stewardship of the nature of Australia, with its attendant spiritual and practical care for country, the sovereignty of which was never ceded. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson, and I am the producer of the Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia podcast series. My guest on this episode of the series, John Hodgkinson, is a highly experienced and knowledgeable biodynamic grower who first encountered biodynamic methods in the mid-1990s and started using them on an existing 40-hectare farm he then owned and ran. So impressed was he with early results that he launched into full-scale adoption of the biodynamic method on his property. After selling his farm in 2005, John moved to Bellingen, New South Wales, and has kept very busy with biodynamics ever since. He maintains his own container garden, has managed numerous rental gardens, and he helped develop a veggie garden just outside of the town which supplied bunched salad varieties to a weekly grower's market stall. John is also a member and active volunteer with Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited, which is headquartered in Bellingen. His work for the organisation has included making biodynamic preparations, as well as authoring newsletter, educational literature and video resources. A fuller written account of John's biodynamic growing experiences is contained in an associated profile booklet of all the guests interviewed for this podcast series titled Stories of Our Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. Please see Biodynamics Agriculture Australia Limited's website for further details of this publication. So John, a very warm welcome to you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks, Andrew. It's good to be here. I'm really looking forward to what transpires in our talk. And let's get into this conversation straight off about your journey through biodynamic growing and your current volunteer work with Biodynamics Agriculture Australia Limited down there in Bellingen. So the question is, can you give us an overview of your extensive experience of biodynamic growing and various other forms of biodynamic support work over 
the last quarter of a century or so. That goes right back to my childhood, actually, because uh, biodynamics didn't appear in my orbit until probably the early 1990s. Um, but prior to that, my farming experience, being a kid of the land, my farming experience opened my eyes to a lot of the issues with conventional agriculture. And um, I think from an early age, I was aware that it wasn't right, that the advice from the agri agricultural department the, of New South Wales to my father wasn't quite right. And just the use of poisons on our farm, you know, arsenic, chloropicrin, you know, it went on and on. And we knew it was dangerous to use these things and uh, we felt we had to against, you know, the rabbit and the lice on the sheep and so on. And so I was always not only questioning these things but thinking of better ways of doing it. And because uh, Silent Spring turned up in my life in the 60s, mid-60s, and that, that was like I, I could have said, yes, Rachel, you've spoken for, for me because I always thought that there was something very wrong with DDT. And so I was ready. And in my experience as a teacher and having been trained as an educator, I'm very aware of that term readiness. And uh, my readiness took quite a long time to come for biodynamics. Prior to that, it, it came for organics which was natural for me. Um, and I suppose I was ready by about 1993. And, and when you're ready, guess what? Things pop up. And uh, for me, it, the pop-up was um, going to a horn retrieval up the valley from Bellingen at Thora, and uh, getting amongst like-minded people is a wonderful introduction to something. So these people are already practising biodynamics and uh, didn't take long for me to realise it was what I'd been looking for. So from then on, it's just been a matter of, A, applying it to my own place, which was up at Dorigo, and then later on taking advantage of the openings to come down to Bellingen, which I had to do because of my aged parents needing care. And then instead of doing Meals on Wheels or the RFS or whatever, um, I decided to come and give my support to what used to be called Biodynamic Farming and Gardening Associations, now called Biodynamic Agriculture Australia. So I came to the, to the source of it all and started volunteering. Went on the payroll for a short time, but uh, since about 2007 or eight, I've been more or less uh, a permanent volunteer here. And the reason I can volunteer is that uh, I generated a military pension through my service as an education officer in the army, and uh, I can afford to give service without expectation of reward. So. I've given my full support physically and intellectually and uh, I became the editor of the quarterly magazine that members get, the 750-odd members, and 
I'm still doing it and I still intend doing it for some time. And what I'd like to finish this response to this particular part with is to recite very briefly Steiner's verse for farmers and commonly known as the farmer's prayer, which tends to encapsulate a lot of what draws me to biodynamics and keeps me in. So here we go. Seek the truly practical material life, but seek it so that it does not numb you to the spirit which is active in it. Seek the spirit, but seek it not in passion for the supersensible, out of supersensible egoism, but seek it because you want to apply it selflessly in practical life in the practical world. Turn to the ancient principle, matter is never without spirit, and spirit is never without matter, in such a way that you say, we will do all material things in the light of the spirit, and we will so seek the light of the spirit that it evokes warmth for us in our practical activities. That was written in uh, 1919. John, just taking that last comment first uh, from Steiner, what a, a fantastic marriage of philosophy, psychology, and, and motivational wisdom there. Uh, considering this bloke was around and about and, and doing his stuff 100 years ago, you know, uh, and, and as I've heard from other guests in this series, as we discussed, this was a man ahead of his time in so many different ways, but his insights uh, that have been borrowed into and, and used in biodynamics. Uh, and I know we will come back to this. I think it's a very you know, um, important feature of the discussion we'll have today, that cosmic spiritual side that you've just referred to there. I mean, other things that I just take from that first section is your obvious passion and dedication to biodynamics. Again, that's come across from a number of guests in this series. People seem to be extremely motivated, energized and passionate about the subject. And and finally, that last comment about your very early influence, that insight into the use of pesticides, chemicals on the farm. Again, another comment that's come from a number of guests. Uh, they got they got tired, or they did no long they no longer wanted to kill things. I think was the term that I've heard. Um, you know, in terms of conventional approaches to chemical um, agriculture, chemical growing methods, um, people just didn't want to do that anymore so it's interesting to hear your particular sort of very early insight into that and, and rachel carson's book silence spring which we will make um put a reference to in the show notes as along with other other sort of reference materials as we go through this so look let's um that was a bit of going back in time there with rudolf steiner's uh, a snippet of his philosophy but let's come now right back up into 2023 and biodynamics now in the 21st century from your own perspective how would you describe biodynamics? You've already started doing that in a very interesting way. But what are some of the basic principles, as far as you see, basic principles and benefits of biodynamic methods as they apply to growing in its various forms? All right. First of all, I'll go back to that term readiness. I think, generally speaking, it's not a sort commodity, biodynamics, or the practice of it. So people need to be exposed to it in some form or other. In many cases, that'll happen out of spontaneous things, synchronicities for them, or they decide they can attend a workshop and we can talk to people like that. So it's not a big pool of people waiting in line to become uh, practitioners. In fact, it's uh, very rare that people pick this up. Um, so, And that's still true in 2023 when you'd think there'd be much more of a move towards it when 
some of the impacts of the conventional agriculture have really started to hit into, you know, aspects of the global environment and um, particularly, um, you know, this warming that's going on. Um, <clears throat> I think if it happened that a large chain like uh, Aldi or Woolworths, a large grocery chain, decided it would only have biodynamic produce or it would have a strong emphasis on biodynamic produce, it could become a huge problem of, well, there certainly wouldn't be enough cow horns to make 500 <laughs> because that's become very problematic getting horns anymore. Biosecurity at abattoirs is incredibly strict these days and a, a lot of the... Uh, the tendency in cattle raising is to avoid horns so that you have genetically engineered, if you like, or genetically predisposed pole cattle or else the horns have been cut off or something. So some of the logistics involved behind biodynamics could make it problematic. And uh, look, personally, I think we could probably go homeopathic biodynamics, but it's a very unpopular area homeopathics you know and i don't think it would um, i think it'd come up against a big barrier but it may ha well have to be the future because i think there is something that's very sound in homeopathics so in terms of being modern you know there's this tendency for uh, the cult of the new that everything has got to be bright and shiny the tractors and the equipment have got to be all new and you know microchips in everything and and the best of chemicals and the best of research going into everything that in other words the reduction of science approach to to conventional agriculture whereas ours tends to be same old same old you know let's talk about almost um, alchemical approach to things so it's a bit on the nose with people with that modern mindset the material let's call it the materialistic mindset now it will soften with necessity, and I think the necessity might be around the corner with extreme climatic events. So I have every hope that, you know, post-2023, that uh, there'll be a real spur to look at alternatives, not just organic alternatives, but this, the refinements of, uh, of the biodynamic method. So that's about all I think is necessary to say that I'm hopeful that biodynamics could increase, not, not expand so much, but grow, because there's no use if, if people are forced to do it. Say Aldi says we won't accept vegetables that aren't grown biodynamically. Well, you're going to have a lot of very reluctant growers that say, hey, you know, give me the stuff and I'll put it on or whatever it is. I'll go through the mechanics of it, but there won't be the soul in it, will there? And, of course, that's one of the reasons why it probably wouldn't work, because without soul growing food, is always going to result in some sort of deficiency in the food itself. But I'll just leave it at that for the moment, Andrew. John, that's really intriguing, you know, uh, insight there. Just coming up to that, like uh, around that sort of contrast aspect of biodynamic um, growing principles as they contrast to more conventional, you know, chemical, industrial, however you want to describe it, methods. And you're talking there about, you know, viewpoints of the supermarket. I, I get that sense of, you know, how scalable is biodynamics, you know, perhaps up to the largest scale that's that's run, say, at the industrial level. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, the, the biodynamics as a form of, in, from my point of view, as a layperson coming into this uh, podcast series and researching it, 
coming under the umbrella from my perspective anyway of a regenerative process of growing a regenerative form of agriculture that can actually restore damaged soil that is it's far uh, less impact impacting on the climate because it can actually sequester carbon into the soil uh it, it conserves biodiversity through the plants and animal co uh, plant cover that it puts on the soil therefore the animals that are supported by etc cetera, etc cetera. do you think that is the you know whatever the actual full-scale commercial imperative i know that always wins out but do you think that that is the argument that it seemed to be that you were implying there that that environmentally protective argument is, is strongly in favor of biodynamics versus you know more conventional ways of growing well i may come at this at your question a little bit obliquely because i think first of all we need to understand what is the difference between the scientific materialistic approach and the holistic approach which is the underpinning of biodynamics. And this is borrowed from somewhere else. It's not my original thing, but I've really adopted this as if it is mine. But if we look at the scientific, it's a Newtonian is, is usually the term used for it. It's the rational or reductionist approach to things, whether it's industry or whether it's agriculture. And the reductionist approach is underpinned by fear and doubt and scepticism and even distrust, and it tends to work in the death realm rather than the, the life force realm. And generally, the expert is outside of it, so it's the scientist or the economist, right? Now, I'm sure we can all recognise that, that generally our society, our modern scientific society, works on that basis. Now, the almost the opposite to that is the holistic or Gertian which is Steiner's background, Goethe, and it's characterised by courage and confidence and enthusiasm and tends to work in the life force realm and natural processes, right? not putting on soluble chemicals but allowing nature to have its own particular form of uh, growth impetus. And the expert is inside us, not outside us. Now, that's obviously going to require you know, training and so on. But that sort of puts it in, in a nutshell that they're quite not opposed, but they're quite different realms that we're working in, the Newtonian and the holistic. And so we come down to how do you get it out there? How do you scale it up so that it's significant? At the moment, I'd have to say in Australia that practice of biodynamics is pretty small. There are two lots of us. There's the Podolinsky group and there's this one up here at Bellingen. And we, yes, we have a fair bit of clout, but it, it's not, not huge in relation to conventional or even organic agriculture. And what I'd like to say, at one stage I thought instead of putting out Agent Orange over Vietnam, we should have been using the C-130s to put out the preps up and down <laughs> the, the better watered parts of Australia. <laughs> irrespective of what people think is under the flight path. However, there is a possibility of that. And I'll give you a, an anecdote of a friend of mine who bought a property near Kilkeven, uh, a 350-acre property. And the contract, the signatures on the contract, the ink was virtually still wet. And he was on his quad with stirred soil activator, which is a 
one of our best and most powerful preparations. It contains all the preparations, including the horn manure. And he was out on this quad late in the afternoon, having stirred the thing for the requisite amount of time. He went around his boundary, around all the internal subdivisions, to get the prep out as soon as he could. And he didn't go up and down each paddock and cover every square metre either. He just did these circuits. And we know that energy moves to, to complete the, uh, the voids when you do this sort of work. And that's how his approach was get it out straight away, any time of the year. Um, it's, a, it's an imperative to, to get this influence, this energetic influence of biodynamics onto the property. Now, that's, that's the key to how you can get it out to people. Look, just do it. Don't think about it too much. We'll, we'll assure you that it will have an effect. And so it could be scaled up, I'm sure, uh, if people's imagination allowed it to happen and their intent was strong enough. So I've got every hope that it could be done. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, mobilising opinion and, and practicalities. We're talking about biodynamics specifically, but in that, you know, that wider spectrum of more regenerative forms of growing and permaculture, organic um, growing as well. Uh, I'm just reminded of the book I, I finished not so long ago, Charlie Massey's uh, Call of the Reed Warbler, which is a fantastic set of, amongst other things, case studies of various forms of regenerative agriculture, including biodynamics, but actual case studies of people on the ground that have been you know, instituting these models of growing these more environmentally protective and also just better ways of growing nutritious food in Australia for years and years. I mean, I think one of the claims in that book is that potentially regenerative agriculture, including biodynamics, could regenerate millions, potentially millions of hectares of land, ultimately, if, again, as you say, if the actual impetus was there. It's like that classic thing that we see in the environment uh, across the board, really. We have the not, not not the technology in this case, but we have the methods, we have the processes, and we do have the technology to turn stuff around uh, massively. It's not often the actual abilities, it's the will, it might be the political will, it might be the cultural will, I don't know, but it's more to do with that aspect of people's ability to take on new ideas and run with them. And again, I've heard that from other guests in this series, that, that, that they've all been, in effect, pioneers to some extent in the field of getting this message on biodynamics out there but they having they have encountered resistance at times and they have encountered that sort of doubting view that oh well what's this you know um, surely this can't be right so and you gave us a little vignette story about that in effect in terms of your own consciousness of changed consciousness when you were very young you know growing up on your parents farm looking at the chemical inputs that went on there so i think this is a and, and just reacting against that just feeling that 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 couldn't be right so this is, seems to be a good point to go um back in time again you started telling us about this but give us more detail about how you became involved with biodynamic growing in the first place uh you you have explained that but give us some more detail around that any light bulb moments for you you mentioned that carson book but influential mentors influencers and also the key resources you've tapped into over the years to help build your knowledge and expertise. I mean, you are a trainer in the in the topic yourself. You are hugely knowledgeable. But anything you have to might have to say about how you acquired that very very extensive knowledge and skill base. Andrew, I'm essentially uh, a quintessential eclectic, and I left school and went into a 
a law firm became an article clerk, decided that wasn't for me after 18 months, etc. Then I went and trained as a wool classer. Um, I did a beekeeping course. This is way back, way back in the you know in the 60s, and uh, gardened like mad. I got into the Henry Doubleday Research Association and got Russian comfrey going in a quarter acre backyard in Sydney with my first home. Had bees there as well, and geese and chooks and every other damn thing. Um, as you do, as you do when you're intensive in trying to grow food for yourself and be self-sufficient and had a young family. Um, and then it wasn't long before I, I discovered dowsing and, and uh, things of the spirit. And uh, hence I'm very open to any philosophy that deals with the spirit, especially anthroposophy. But um, I've done various courses of training one of them was actually Vipassana meditation at Blackheath, the silent meditation, you know, with the with Goanka, the the sort of head of the whole thing on every, every morning on a video at four thirty or something. No, we were meditating till six. So at six o'clock, we'd watch this video, and his great big call to us all was just observe, and you know things like that go in very deep. And I've been on psychic weekends. When I was attending University of New South Wales, went up to Orange and did psychic weekends where we did past lives, you know, rebirthing and stuff. That was very interesting. It gives you insights into the spirit. And I've always doused, although not for water so much, although I've dabbled in that. Uh, I've avoided trying to be so much under pressure as you are when you're dousing for water. People want result and they want to be able to make money out of, you know, the bore and all the water they're going to get. So I avoid that. But I... I certainly practice dowsing. I'm a practicing practicing dowser, um, and I have a lot of faith in in the results of dowsing as long as you're not looking for personal gain, because the whole thing in my life is about service. Service is my big thing, and uh, so all those things have been not just for me, but for me to be a a better person in in this world. So when it comes to the influences towards biodynamics. I also did a permaculture design course and I had Robin Francis, who was just absolutely amazing. And I met Bill Mollison and had good chats with Bill. So I have a great feeling for what permaculture can do. But mind you, it's, it's hard to imagine permaculture being scaled up to supply, mm. you know, Sydney with food. But it's a wonderful process and uh, it, stands, it stands on its own feet to some extent, except I think it can be improved with biodynamics in some forms. Even land care can be improved with biodynamics, like uh, root dips for plants before they're put into riparian zones and things. It can give them a big start. There are elements of biodynamics that can fit in with these things. The syntropic agroforestry, which is the latest thing on the on the block, hey, it, it can it can really prosper it can actually get a big boost from biodynamics. And it's being done by friends of mine, actually, at the moment, where it's integrated with, with biodynamic practices. So we can be an assistance to, to other forms of growing, we'll just call it growing. Um, it doesn't have to dominate uh, all the time. It can be a useful thing. And in the case of um, Call of the Reed Warbler, um, this kind of... Large-scale plantings by graziers 
and even on the Monero, the Monero, um, yes, it can help to establish things and give and give whatever is planted, whether it be a forest or a savanna or whatever it is, it can give it resilience. It can allow the plants to establish quickly and give them a certain resilience because one of the things that happens with biodynamics pretty much universally, as soon as you apply it, because of its stimulation of the soil food web, the production of humus, shouldn't call it really production, but the formation of humus is accelerated, which is actually carbonation of the soil. This is the, the putting down of carbon into soil. And in the poorest of country, like around Tinga, in sandy country that was mined for tin, I've seen with my own eyes how up to four inches of darkened soil can occur in one or two years. That's provided it's not in the middle of a drought. The weeds can become palatable to stock. These are the sort of miracle things that you can see in, in very needy or poor environments or degraded soil. Um, and so there's a big, a big call for something across large areas to speed up the process of regeneration. And I think in Charles Massey's case, he, 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 got, he got onto it. He, he looked around a fair bit. His book is very enlightening in that way, that he uh, not only was a highly trained scientist, but um, he was prepared to look at other examples and, uh, and imitate them, if not better them. So I, I see a big, a big role for biodynamics to play in that. And that's what I've viewed during my life, even despite the fact I was in army classrooms mostly. Um, I could see this happening. And being a geography teacher, as, as is my training, and being able to go out on field trips even before I got involved in my own place, I was actively uh, encouraging and building the knowledge in other people. Of, of these possibilities. So biodynamics was very natural for me. As I say, I was, I was more than ready for by the mid-90s. And thanks for that, John. As with other guests, always fascinating, intriguing to hear, you know, how they got from A to Z or, or still pursuing Z on the journey of professional discovery and innovation. And just one or two points. Again, I'm just picking this up as sort of round, random. You know, you said you're an eclectic person, a borrowing person. You borrow in you know experiences learnings etc you know to to uh, and then sort of collate that into into a bigger picture whole so that theme of holism which again has been coming out of our discussion here everything is connected to everything else uh, and so you know for that idea of you know very close observation of the world you talked about your meditation practice there i've i've it's for me again on that holistic basis almost links to this idea in um biodynamic growing again i've heard this from guests the very close observation they pay to their properties to their land um the ability that they use using that observation to fine-tune what they do on the land it's not just a question of slapping stuff on walking off and then forgetting about it it's almost like a day by day close observation seeing the changes sometimes very subtle changes they've achieved and then using that to fine tune and calibrate what they do next so again I, I, a nice i think it's a nice illustration of how all of these things link together so john moving through this lovely and fascinating interview um let's hear a bit, a bit more about your biodynamic work over the years you've already 
given us, you know, some some good examples of that. But I know, you know, as you mentioned, your past, you know, military educational career, and I know that you've been very active in recent years, well, across, well, more than that, in in educating new and existing biodynamic growers on the benefits of biodynamic adoption. So what have been some of the beneficial impacts of that work that you've been doing in your view? Well, I've been very supportive of the processes and production here at the office where, where we make the preparations and distribute them. Uh, so I've always been part of the team outside making the stuff, packing and dispatching, and also inside helping to, to word things and uh, supporting in, a, in an administrative sense until finally I became an editor of the magazine. I've, I've stepped back to associate editor, but I still have a lot of input. But the big thing for me was getting out to the members out in the, the far-flung states and seeing how they're doing things, picking up all sorts of interesting things and coming back to write them up so that I was in that unique position where I could go out and do the presentations and come back and write them up to, to distribute those ideas and so on to the members through the magazine, which is a quarterly, which is quite a, quite a frequent sort of... Uh, magazine most of the uh, similar magazines have gone out to six monthly but we've kept it at quarterly which is a lot of work to put together but it's also highly informative and uh, some people keep them as sets of reference <laughs> that's how, how how they they go down they're treated with great significance and i treat them very seriously yeah the stuff i put in there the, the collection of articles and so on the things i write myself uh i, I take it very seriously but getting out to the regions is so important. Um, it's a pity that COVID intervened and we couldn't do it anymore uh, for a time. And since that time, things have changed so much that we, we have difficulty getting quorum together. Um, we've, had, we've advertised lots and lots of uh, time, well, a number of times, not lots, but lots of people can't either afford it or monetary terms or we can't afford the time and we don't get enough nominations to run the courses so anyhow we'll deal with that as time goes on but getting out to people is so amazing uh, for a start the hosts have to be pretty special people to to allow people to come onto their properties for a start to be happy with that and the people who turn up from the local areas and some come a long way to come to these these uh, workshops um, they are such interesting people. Um, <laughs> the most educational thing for an instructor, actually, to go on these on these workshops, and you hear a lot of variations in practice. Um, and I don't sort of stand in judgment over people's um, approach to biodynamics. Some people are highly detailed in what they do, so much so it's almost painful to hear the, the, the difficulties that that they encounter because they. You can actually simplify biodynamics tremendously, but you can also make it incredibly complex. We have a handbook here, which I've been part of editing, and we've still got a, another round of editing shortly, but a handbook that goes out with every member, to every member who becomes a member, to the new members. And the handbook is, is very thorough, shows you, tells you exactly what to do with diagrams. And so there's no doubt as to what to do to become a biodynamic practitioner. But a lot of people take their own attitude to it and uh, invent new techniques and so on. Um, here's a good example. How do you get 
the preparations out onto very inaccessible country, say on a cattle property. Well, we now have the Shane Joyce tea bag, which is a, a handmade shade cloth bag, about a foot by a foot by a foot, and it's half filled with soil activator. It goes in the in the troughs, in the water troughs. Well, the soil activator infuses into the water. The cattle get it into their bodies, take it out and urinate it and poo it all over the place. And over a period of time, that is very good coverage of the country. It could be rocky, ridgy country. And there's your biodynamic applications. And plus the, the animals gain quite a health boost from, from ingesting this stuff. So these are, I mean, examples abound of this kind of thing. So when we go out and do walks across these properties or whether they're gardens or, or horticulture, whatever they are, the amount of learning that goes on for the participants is just amazing. And my own, of course, and my co-presenters is also very, very significant. And you now this is the thing about biodynamics. It needs to be kept alive. And I think just staying on your property and trying to be self-sufficient, and one of the principles of, of biodynamics is the sort of sovereignty of the property and, and lowering as much as possible the, the inputs coming from outside because a property can generate its own fertiliser, so to speak, its own fertility enhancers, shall we call them, in all sorts of forms, compost and liquid manures and so on. Um, it can become rather sort of uh, reclusive and, and suspicious of the outsiders because a lot of the neighbours look very askance at, uh, at biodynamics. They think it's, um, I don't know, there's just this, this critical look at it that it doesn't involve the same expenditure. I mean, a, a fertiliser bill on, on one guy's property went from 60000 when he was conventionally converted to biodynamics and in a very short time it was down to, you know, very short, very small amount, you know, less than $10,000. And even that's, <laughs> it's hard to spend that because uh, your property is capable of generating an enormous amount of fertility with these preparations, with the enhancements. So I've just had my eyes open to, to the possibilities. There's nowhere that can't benefit from this, whether it be mine site regeneration, you know, whether it be enhancing uh, already quite uh, good systems of horticulture and see the trees uh, sort of regenerate themselves. I've been to, say, macadamia orchards and seen the dieback that occurs when you're not putting on all the, the proper things and, and the difference that biodynamic preparations can make to the health of those trees is, is enormous in a very short time. And, you know, we have, we have the ability to enhance existing fertiliser, say, uh, for instance, a sea, seaweed fertiliser or, 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 or fish fertiliser. We, can, we, we get those in here, we buy them in bulk, and we put the preparations in them before we redistribute them. And the preparations actually are the compost preparations, which enhance the, the value, the fertilising value of those fish and seaweed emulsions. I mean, you know, simple stuff, but um, we can do it in such a way that we're a service to, um, to our members. They could go and buy those and do them themselves, but we can do it here centrally for people who haven't got the time or the facilities to do it themselves. So, John, we've been talking there about biodynamics as this excellent form of efficient regenerative growing and the excellent you know, produce that comes out of that growing. 
the way that you've been spreading the word, both yourself and Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited over the years, um, the benefits of getting that message out to as many people as possible. But I also understand, and again, you started to refer to this, and I've heard this from other guests in the series, that in addition to those external benefits, often the grower themselves, the uh, the person on the land using these methods also benefits. And so for you particularly, <clears throat> to add to that substantial list of biodynamic benefits, what have been the beneficial impacts on you personally of being involved with this form of growing? It's a good one. Um, I think if you study Steiner, you can pick up some very good things that you might have already had within you, but it can, they can be strengthened. Positivity, for instance, and openness and non-judgmentalism. I mean, these are very easy things to fall into. Judgmentalism is, is rife. Uh, it's, it's within us all. Um, even things like um, the world being more or less at war at the moment, I, I know in my heart that we all have war in us, right? War isn't out there. Wars, wars within ourselves. And if we, if we adopt an adversarial approach to anything at all, whether it's like I've got a problem out there and it's an insect and I've got to kill it, you know, and this goes back to the cockatoos at uh, Sam Statham's place. Now, we had 70-odd people there, and I, I have a great reluctance to make a, a display of, of dowsing because with dowsing you need, you need to be able to drop yourself into your alpha state, right? That's your meditative state with eyes closed. There are shortcuts with drugs, of course, to get into this. That's why drugs are so, <laughs> so popular. Once you're in that state and you're aware of what you can do with it, you can actually invoke and speak with group souls. All animal species and insect species have group souls. And the cockatoo group soul is very receptive. And all I could do was say, look, I normally, I normally do this uh, quietly, subvocally, but I'm just going to demonstrate to you people, those 72 people, what can be done. And uh, the, the cockatoos have been nipping off all the new growth on the on the on the vines, on the grapevines. They'd been eating the olives. <laughs> They're making a real mess of things, and they were they were installed. They were there on that property, and so I wanted to do uh, a communication with them such that they would leave the property, but it wasn't expelling them. It wasn't telling them, you know, go to blazes out you go. So we did a little deal with them, as, as was done at Findhorn with the elemental beings. You need to have a chat and come up with a reasonable idea. So Sam said, well, let's give them the outer row of olives and ask them to leave the, the bulk of the property, which is what I did in front of people with, with, eyes, <laughs> with eyes closed, but, but vocally with a, with, a, with a rod in front of me because the divining uh, rod shows you where they're in. It comes around to the to the left to show you that you're in communication, and when you've when the message has been received, the rod moves back to directly ahead. If it's a, in the negative case, it goes around to the right. So I did all this in front of everybody, and because we were staying there, the two presenters were staying there at, on the farm. We were able to see what happened that night, and Sam was quite amazed because 
There was a tremendous raucous going on with these cockatoos at about dusk, and they all decamped. They left the property that night. <laughs> so it definitely worked. And things like that, are, and everybody else was informed that that's what happened. So it's sort of convincing, isn't it, <laughs> when, when you can do things like that? So I've done a lot of work with, um, with animals and insects and proved that it's easy enough to talk to these group souls. And as long as you're reasonable about things, you can come up with all sorts of solutions. So we don't have to be out there killing things. We can do diversionary work. And sometimes the peppering thing is a, it's a, an aspect of um, biodynamics that's very interesting. We can actually uh, get things to move away with burning, burning uh, you know, the carcass or the skins of, of large animals or even in the case of, of insects doing the same. And we can expel the animals and the insects from our area. Um, but there are other, other ways in which we can do things without killing as such. You know, um, and I think these these little extras added on to biodynamics using cosmic influences, which is a very important part of biodynamics. We we need to we need to be astrologers as well as astronomers to be to be right in there. Now I'm not saying, and this is an important point I'm I'm going to make now. I don't think people who join the practice of biodynamics need to become chemists or biochemists. I don't think they need to become soil scientists. I don't I don't need to be extreme about any of these things. We don't need to understand insect and animal behaviour. We don't, in other words, we don't need to become zoologists. We don't need to become astronomers and astrologers. We don't need to become anthroposophists, although it's very handy if we have us if we if we have the time and inclination to go into that. We need to take control of ourselves, our willing, our feeling, our intents. That's important. We don't need to become detailed specialists in all these fields. And my, my approach is, is dabbling and somewhat eclectic, which allows me to have all these little other doors to, to enter the domain, the realm. Um, I find that um, if you show people some of these things, I need to see it once, just once is enough, and they'll go away and do it themselves. That's why I like to be on display to some extent and certainly not an ego trip. But I like to think that I'm opening people's minds, you know, giving them some, some little thing that they can grasp and practice themselves. And, uh, you know, that's a very effective way of getting it out there. But best, best if they see it in your words rather than, you know, some scientific journal. Thanks again, John. Again, I mean, it's a very rich section there, trying to actually not summarise it, but just take a few points out. Again, from a lay person listening to this, uh, sort of reinterpret that. But that last point you just made, I mean, I've, again, I've heard this theme. One way of expressing this might be a black box theme that biodynamics, as with other sort of you know ideas, but biodynamic growing is an accessible uh, form of doing things it's an it's a pragmatic practical way of doing things but it is underpinned by deep philosophical spiritual cosmic elements but the thing is the black box comes in is you don't need to know in depth about those things uh, to actually get the workings of the biodynamic method uh, working for you that's the black box you know you see it you're looking at this box it might be moving there's a mechanism in there you're not exactly sure what the mechanism is 
but you don't need to know that. Same, someone, one of the other guests said, look, you don't need to know how a mobile phone works to get the benefit out of it. You don't need to know how a computer works in depth to get the benefit out of it, obviously. So that sort of approach. But nonetheless, those deeper elements, which you did give us a flavor of as well, one of those, that fantastic um, anecdote about uh, Sam Statham on Rosnay Farm down there uh, in near Canandra in New South Wales. I mean, Sam is actually in this series as well. So um, listeners can go and listen to his account, his stories as well. But you're, you're visiting him on the property. And that dowsing uh, story, which for me, I, I almost like uh, linking to an idea of expanded consciousness, you know, the idea that we we do have um how you might put this almost if if we listen hard enough we we understand that we do have what some people would consider to be solely an indigenous worldview that we're not uh separate from nature we're an integral part of nature and therefore our energies can interact with the energies and they do they do interact with the energies of other species we can collaborate with other species if we tune in sufficiently well to ourselves and it seems to me that that muscle testing, dowsing sort of um, methodology is one aspect of how you can tune in to a deeper level of consciousness to get that connection that is that is in us all. But most people have tuned out to it. Most in the people in the West, let's say, for want of a better term, or in neoliberal economic society, have just not tuned into their own consciousness within their own themselves, and so they miss that. I don't know if, if you'd agree with that, but that's, that was me trying to make sense of that you know, deeper aspect. But the point is, biodynamics is a practical, at another level, it's a practical set of methods and approaches to growing that works whether you understand that depth stuff or not. Would that be a fair way of putting it, John? Or You've been saying good things there, um, and, it, and it stimulates me to go to the, the probably a crucial point here, and that is I think we all have a duty to each other, to ourselves, and to the society to progress ourselves, right? And we've got to be careful with biodynamics because you can bog down. If, if I handed somebody the agricultural lectures and said, here, take that away, you can be become a biodynamicist, <laughs> most people, I think nine out of ten would give up very quickly. We, we had a study group here studying the eight lectures a few years ago. We spent a year doing it. We went through all the lectures and we're ready to do them all again the next the next year because it is it is it's very subtle. Steiner's work, his indications, is very subtle, and to get the full meaning of it takes a lot of reflection after you actually read it. So I have a I have a thing about this. When I go out and instruct to people, I say, look, if you really want to get started, just go and do it. Here's the handbook. Here's the handbook, right? Very straightforward, simple. Now, at the same time, you must think about reading something that's very accessible that will convince you about the truth of this and it'll open up for you a door, a portal into this world of subtle energies. Now, I, I dwell in subtle energy all the time. You know, I'm in a group of people, they're always talking about esoterics and subtlety and Oh, we're just on the Mancius today, would you believe? And, you know, Dao Te Ching, the whole lot. But look, for somebody starting, I say, unless you're absolutely skint and you haven't got a penny to bless yourself with, go and buy yourself a couple of books. And the first book to buy is Secrets of the Soil. It has, within its covers, is the most exquisite and simple 
version of energetics as applied to life and agriculture. It's a wonderful book written quite a few years ago, still in print, by two journalistic sort of guys, Tompkins and Bird. Their first book, which is a bestseller as well, was Secret Life of Plants. It's talked about lie detectors and all sorts of things and very interesting too. But Secrets of the Soil definitely got to be read. I'd say it's a necessary reading if you're going to be a biodynamicist. It'll really inspire you, really get you going. Practical, theoretical, esoteric. If you really want to get down into the, the world of the spirit and the world of elemental beings, you must read The Pendhorn Garden. That was a, an outstanding experiment that the, the world of the spirit allowed these four people to come into and to see it and to publicise it and to set up a foundation which still exists today. And The Fendorn Garden is a book still in print and it's a wonderful little excursion into opening minds. Now, those two books alone, there'd be very few people who wouldn't be uh, deeply affected by them and deeply introduced into biodynamics. Not just biodynamics, a different sort of life about a, a term. A term seems to restrict, it'll open things up. And there's a whole hierarchy of other books which people can indulge in after that if they so wish. Um, and I could go on with lots and lots of them, including some of Steiner's book like Occult Science and, and so on. But they tend to get deeper and deeper and they're not for everybody. All right? But I do think it's necessary for people to do a bit of reading. <laughs> And, of course, all this stuff is so much on, on the web. You'd be amazed at anything you want to know about biodynamics. It's there in volumes. Um, any term you like to throw into it, there's volumes appear in front of you. So there's no shortage of information, no shortage of stimulation and stimulants of, uh, of the intellectual kind to get yourself into biodynamics. Look, it's so big. Biodynamics is so big, it appears to be small because so few people are involved in it. But, you know, it begins with the flavour of a biodynamic fruit or the appearance of the archetype of the plant. I talked about giantism at Dorigo. But it wasn't just giantism as a result of all my work there and, and, and the assistance of nature there. It was actually the plants being allowed to, being freed up to show their full archetype, their full potential. And, of course, a lot of vegetable plants can be very big. You know, Findhorn had, what, 15-pound cabbages and things. You know, it's not as if they were freaks. It was as if that's what the plant's genetic code is able to do. And you can free all that up. I and mean, it's quite amazing when you get involved in it. And I still do it today. You know, exceptional vegetables is ho-hum, nothing much at all. But, uh, but feeling, feeling better in yourself, of course, feeling more confident. And, uh, being able to exercise your willpower with great ease, being uh, particularly in terms of intent, knowing that your intent, if you, if you feel it strong enough and practice it, you are becoming, with that, a co-creator. You're, you're, you're creating stuff all the time. Now, a lot of us are doing it without realising it, but, but it's no secret, but we can become creators all the time. And the the indication that we're successful in that is lots of synchronicities. Once the synchronicities start being noticed more and more, you know you're on, you're in the zone. Anyhow, 
And I'd like to say one thing about um, this messaging that we put out through our intent is I think of all the other little books that you could get, the ones on um, the crystal, the frozen crystals that um, crystals of water that Amodo did, Masura Amodo, years ago, became bestsellers. He's on television and everything. Tends to have somehow disappeared out of the media, but that, that we can put our thoughts into water. We can put fertility into water. We don't even need to add anything to it except our thoughts. My, my, some of my water containers have um, love and gratitude on, written on bits of paper attached to them because I know that goes into the water. You know, these things are already out there. It's funny that not everybody, uh, A, knows about it or B, practices it. I think that goes for a lot of... Uh you know areas of human endeavor isn't it you know cutting edge innovative you know good interesting new stuff but unfortunately it doesn't always get into the zeitgeist um but look we've, we've been spending a fair amount of time talking about that bigger picture spiritual cosmic aspect of biodynamics you've given us some great resources there we'll put them in the show notes i mean some of those book titles have been cited by other guests so i mean clearly there is uh, there are some go-to books and resources that um people have mentioned and i'll put those uh, onto the show notes you know the ones that are straightforward to find anyway to cut down the amount of time people have to do, uh, spend searching for them but look as we now move through this great interview john um talking about you know just coming off of that uh you know spiritual cosmic side of biodynamics almost uh, touching on the history of the evolution of ideas and practices how they get adapted over time i mean for a for a sort of set of philosophies, processes, um, practices that have been around for a hundred years or so, it's hardly surprising that some of those ideas uh, from Steiner have been adapted, are being adapted, are constantly evolving. And adaptation is, you know, one part of that process of managing things, of doing things well, uh, being ahead of the game in terms of adaptation, in terms of responding to challenges, for instance. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, uh, because you, you've been giving us this this brilliant sort of overview of all the positive benefits that have been coming out of your work within biodynamics over the years. But nonetheless, you must have encountered, I'm assuming, some uh, challenges, some stresses, some pushbacks, perhaps, or some other issues that uh, are have come across as a challenge. So what have, what have they been for you and how have you worked to overcome them? Um, well, yeah, good one. Um... Yeah, age. I've had to ease back on my uh, physical output. I used to have a very nice garden, demonstration garden around the office here. It was full of all nice things. And I've had to sort of, because I've had other gardens as well, uh, I've had to sort of pull back a bit there. And I would like to have done more innovatory things. I mean, I'm just st setting up a, a test on bions at the moment, um, which is an article in the latest newsleaf, which we dealt with. So I'm still active outside there but i'd like to get uh, some better structures in in our infrastructure here um the quality of our preparations well i'm pretty sure they're okay uh very good um i'd like to be out more with people and that's that's sad really that we're not doing more workshops because there are a lot of people out there who want them but we can't get out there it's very expensive to get out there you know and it's very actually it's, it's very difficult to do it you know, to, to actually screw yourself up to the point where you can do it and you've made time and there's always difficult things in your personal life to get out all the time, like the travelling salesman. It's a, it can be a very lonely sort of job between, between water holes, but 
I, I feel um, I do my best, but there are limitations. And as I get older, there, you know, there's the, the energy thing. But no, I'm still full of it all. And um, I'm very keen to continue doing it for the time being. Um, and I'd say with biodynamics, there aren't any limits. There are no limits to this because it's not just about some little thing called biodynamics. It's about a totally new approach to the, to the planet. You know, I mean, it's a pity it's not in the water, um, that, that everybody drank this water and came out of it, <laughs> transformed in some way into an awareness of what we really are because we aren't really just a body. Come on, we're a, we're a, we're a spirit form and we, we go through, you know, incarnations and so on. I mean, anybody who denies that, well, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so there's a long way to go before the world can sort of sort itself out and get off the fossil fuels and, you know, start being friendly towards it, kind towards each other. That would be nice. And I think our, our particular discipline, our biodynamics and spirituality, is certainly along the way. You know, just how we can scale it up is another issue altogether. But, um, yeah, I could go on sort of more or less relevant to that, but that's that's the core of it. It's 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 our it's our heritage. It's about time we all woke up to it. So many themes there. Just on that one thing about getting the message out there. I mean, again, I think it's uh, something I've heard across the board. I mean, I work for a small environment protection organisation up here, and in touch with other ones in this area. And there's something about that perhaps drop off of volunteerism generally, the ageing demographic of many, many groups. They don't seem to be getting sort of so much fresh blood in at the other end. I mean, again, whether that's in terms of long-term trends in society, there's various uh, theories about that. Um, also, that servant leadership model that you supply, you know, you you said a couple of points, I think, in the interview, you know, you, you're there to serve, uh, but you're also there to lead. And, and again, I think that that ethos of a, of a humble a leader, but who who actually gives of themselves, but actually does offer good leadership. I mean, that seems to be in short supply as well. We need more of those. We definitely need more of those. And perhaps in terms of getting the message out, this digital medium that we're using here now, I mean, it's not the entire substitution for good face-to-face -face contact, but in a very busy world where for whatever reason, uh, volunteerism is dropping off, whether we like it or not, perhaps this is um, one substitute. And, uh, you know, we try and get the message out there through, online videos podcasts etc cetera, etc cetera. but always i suppose looking to that gold standard of direct face-to-face -face instruction training and uh, example setting but you're talking there john right at the end about the absolute value of biodynamics and other forms of regenerative agriculture and other forms of environmentally protective human endeavor in general bracketing all that together what does the future hold for the planet? What does it hold for society? What does it hold for us? So coming right back down to you as the uh, person being interviewed in this um, wonderful interview, the question is, what does the future hold for you in your biodynamic work? Okay, before I depart this mortal coil, I would very much appreciate if everybody treated the earth as sacred and by the earth, I mean everything on the earth, including, especially the soil, which is where biodynamics seems to focus quite a lot of its practicality. So the earth is a sacred being and life is a gift from heaven. And the astronomers are getting there 
because they've now got dark energy, which I think is possibly <laughs> id, chi, orgone, whichever you like to say, the, the etheric force, the life-giving force. Uh, it's there, and even science is going to suddenly wake up one day and say, hey, you guys have been right all along. All your spiritualists have been right. And, and, and I mean, even AI may pick this up someday. I, I somehow doubt it. But there's such a thing as spirit and you can't build that into a machine. That's my sort of final word. We need to be treating Earth as sacred. That's a very special attribute of where we are and who we are. You mentioned uh, Goethe, Gopher, however you pronounce it, the German philosopher, scientist, a 19th century guy who, in fact, was one of the influences on Steiner. I mean, even back then, in going back as late as the late 18th century, early 19th century, a realization that this new industrial scientific reductionist society that was being generated through the Industrial Revolution, et cetera, et cetera, had its major downsides and the whole romantic movement as a, as a sort of counter to that to say, hey, you know, let's not lose sight of the sacred. Which, which we largely have in the West. Uh, you know, it's, I, I think this, that's indisputable. And, and along with losing that sense of the sacred, l- losing a sense of respect for nature. I've just finished reading, uh, again, another book, a uh, lovely book, not specifically about biodynamics, but it's worth a read. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. Yeah, Robin Val Kimra. Yeah, it's, because it's a lovely synthesis. I mean, she is a, an American scientist, a botanist. But she's also a First Nations, First Nations uh, American heritage person. And so she's been blending this sort of earlier First Nations indigenous view about plants, which she was always fascinated in. But then she trained in Western science, in Western botany, but bringing those two things together. And I think it's, it's doable. But, you know, she points out that the English language itself just doesn't have the, the capacity to um, describe other than human beings in anything other than a sort of objective way. You know, it's it's that, um, you know, Thomas Berry thing as well, a, a world full of objects versus a world full of subjects. You know, we, we're in relation to other than human beings. If only we could actually just tune in and realise that. Uh, fantastic. Look, I'll put some links to those books as well, because I think, you know, as part of that general wider spiritual philosophy that you have referred to several times, John, I think that that more, you know, 21st century take on that sort of viewpoint might be interesting to listeners. But look, as we now come up to the end of this fantastic interview, chunking down to the last couple of questions. First one, do you have a short take home message? You covered a lot of ground today, but perhaps a few sentences or so which could help distill your ideas, reinforce what you've been talking about today for listeners. Okay, if there's anybody listening to this who isn't already engaged in higher level spiritual matters or, or even in uh, the practice of biodynamics, I say you don't know what you're missing, get into it. Follow my advice about reading Tompkins and Bird, Secrets of the Soil, and you can't go wrong. And if it's not for you, it's not it's not for you. If you're not ready, you're not ready. So no no, no screwing of arms here. We don't we don't advocate this is the only thing to do. There are many roads leading to, to Rome, but in the end it'll be uh, seeking our true consciousness and uh, and finding the sacredness of things. John, um, raising consciousness, being more aware of the fragility of the earth around us, taking more, uh, paying more attention to that, being more intentional. Lovely way to end this wonderful interview. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. 
I know for a fact you'll give our audience a whole lot of thought-provoking ideas which can help their next steps toward getting into biodynamics or applying biodynamic growing methods taken from some of the intriguing and environmentally protective approaches to growing you've described today. As with other guests in this series, your story has given us some examples of the important abilities of biodynamics to regenerate soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity and work with Mother Nature. And so, John, it's time to say goodbye on behalf of both the podcast production and support organisations which made this podcast possible. They are Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia, and of course, Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited. I want to thank you so very much for our conversation today. It's been a pleasure being here talking with you. We could talk on for hours about these things in a very meaningful way, Andrew. And thank you so much for uh, your input because um, you've done a marvellous job putting this thing together for both the other guests and myself. And I, I, I have deep gratitude for what you're doing. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode in the podcast series Biodynamic Farmers and Gardeners in Australia. The series was produced by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Incorporated Australia, with the generous funding support of Biodynamic Agriculture Australia Limited. It has been a pleasure to help raise awareness of some of the environmentally protective values of biodynamic growing practice in its ability to regenerate the biological health of soil, supercharge organic growing, restore biodiversity, and work in harmony with Mother Nature. Please consult the episode show notes for possible follow-up material on topics discussed in interview and any relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you have heard. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider promoting it across your networks and giving it a positive rating in your preferred podcast app. You can also give us feedback via the short five-minute online survey using the link also available in the show notes. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.